Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 26. In the first part of this chapter, we find <clears throat> Isaac suffering a miserable failure in his life. But then all of a sudden, due to the grace of God, we learn that nevertheless, the Lord blessed him, verse 12, and he received a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and verse 13 says he waxed great and went forward, and then it says he grew until he became very great. And then it tells us in verse 14 that the Philistines envied him. In verse 15, for all of the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Now verse number 17, and Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gear and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdsmen of Gear did strive with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Isaac, because they strove with him. And they digged another well, and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence, and he digged another well, for they strove, and for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. Verse 28, we see that now his enemies recognize something is going on, and they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let, let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee. Verse 29 says, Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. Verse 30, they departed from him in peace. Last week, I spoke about learning to live with loss, and I want you to see today that sometimes we win by losing. I love to study the characters of the Bible, and especially those in the Old Testament, because there is so much that we can learn from them. They show us how that God can use plain, ordinary, flawed imperfect people to do great things and Isaac is I think a good example of that and here we see in chapter 26 of Genesis there's much revealed about his greatness as I said it starts out with a miserable 
failure, and yet he prospered greatly due to the grace of God. That tells me that failing doesn't make you a failure. We all fail to some extent. Isaac proves that's true. Although he fell, he didn't stay down. And I've always believed that Isaac doesn't get the attention that he deserves. For example, whenever we read about his father Abraham, we read about, I think, 12 chapters, I believe it is, devoted mainly to him. We read about his son Jacob, but it's very little we read about Isaac. Abraham is known as the father of all of those who believe. Of course, Jacob is known as the one who prevailed in wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He's the one that the Bible says became a prince. But then we get down to Isaac here, and we just, well, we just wonder what in the world is going on because of the fact that uh, he doesn't seem to be notable for anything. And again, as I said, God uses different people in different ways. And whenever we look at Isaac here, if you noticed in the reading of these verses, and there are some references to this earlier, there are some later after the verses that I just read, but it, it tells us that Isaac was a man that is known as a man of wells, a man of wells. I want to preach to you this morning about digging wells. Boy, that really kind of sounds boring. Who wants to talk about digging a well? But you've got to understand that a well was of more value than a gold mine. You can live without gold. You can't live without water. They need to water for agricultural purposes. They had to grow their crops. You know, they had to had to have water for the herds, water for the flocks, uh, for their personal hygiene, for drinking, and water is essential to life. And so when we talk about these wells, we're talking about something that is extremely important. And the verses that I just read gives us five examples of the wells that Isaac dug. Now remember, in the days of his father Abraham, uh, he had dug these wells. The enemies come in and they stopped them up. And so now he is redigging those wells that had been filled up by the enemy. He names each one. We won't go into all of that. But uh, the Essek in verse 20 means strife. And, and the next one, sitting in verse 21, that means Satan or accuser. And so we can see that all of this was done in the face of opposition and uh, and it shows us his response to the difficulties that he was going through. He's hounded by his enemies, and yet notice, he chooses to avoid conflict. When his enemies, due to their jealousy, opposed him by stopping up the wells, he just simply moved on and dug another well. Rather than... In ...moved on... about that we think about the God promised in verse 24 all the way down through, through verse 32 God promised I'm going to bless you but there's more to it than that he said I'm going to bless your seed in other words I'm going to make of you a great and a mighty nation 
And sometimes we forget. We remember the promise to Abraham. How that God out of the loins of Abraham raised up the nation of Israel, a great and a mighty nation. He blessed them, but the key factor is that he was to make Israel a blessing to all of the other nations. Some people get confused about this thing of uh, Israel being God's favorite people. Uh, You know, Israel's God's favorite people only in the sense that he bestowed upon them his favor that he might make them a light in the darkness of this world to be a blessing to the other nations. This is an expression of God's concern for all of the nations, not just him. And that is Isaac and his response to the enemy. And whenever we look at this story, we're reminded of the fact that each and every one of us is involved in a spiritual warfare. We live in a fallen world and we can expect that there are going to be difficulties. And there are five things that come to my mind whenever I look at his response to these enemies. As I look at how he instead of acting, uh, responded to the situation. Number one, we have to deal with difficult people. Somebody said the world would be a pretty good place if it wasn't for people. Uh, There's a lot of truth to that. And I'm sure that every one of us have felt that way at some time or another. This is a fallen world we live in. We ought to expect what we see. So many times, you know, we, we seem surprised. We, we're just shocked, and especially those that are, that are my age, and we think about how it was here in good old America back when we were growing up, the attitude, the morality, and so forth. And by the way, it wasn't as good as what we really think about anyway. We had our problems, but it was sure a lot different than what we're seeing today. And I've often said some of us live in a state of shock Because we see things today that we never dreamed of seeing whenever we were young people. But it's a reality today. And and so we're shocked. But yet at the same time, isn't that what we ought to expect? Living in a fallen world? And even the Bible tells us evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So the world's not getting better. It's not going to get better until Jesus comes. And so you can expect that you're going to encounter people that are going to make life difficult. I'm talking about people who literally will try to destroy your life. And Jesus warned us about that. He always was honest with his followers and said, you'll be hated for my sake. If you're going to follow me, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. So we have to learn to deal with difficult people. And uh, that being the case, we have to discover how we're going to do that. Because it's not natural for any of us. By nature, you see, we all get started on the wrong foot, don't we? We're born into this world with a sinful nature. That's why we don't have to teach our kids to do wrong. They just do that by nature. It comes natural for them. And that's the way we all start out. Every parent has had the experience of hearing a child scream, Mine! Mine! Some other kid tries to take their toy away and boy, they throw a screaming fit. The problem is some people never outgrow that. 
There's some people, you know, that are 80 years old and they still have the same attitude as a little child. It's mine. And, and so that creates a lot of strife in the world. And it tells us that whenever we confront this opposition, when we go through these difficulties, that we have to learn to deal with them. And as Christians, we ought to know better and we ought to do better. We have a responsibility, the Bible says, to live peaceably with all men. Wouldn't it make a different world if we'd learned to do that? Good night. We can't even we can't even vote without nearly having a civil war. I, I mean, and, and we live in a time where you know the average marriage just doesn't even survive. People have have never learned to deal with difficulties and just throw up their hands in despair and give up be good if we was all more like Jesus says when he was reviled he reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously so we have his example to encourage us but we have his commandments to enlighten us listen to what Paul said to the church at Corinth in chapter 6 verse Corinthians verse 7 he says now therefore there's utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. Now, get this. In other words, they were, you know, I'm going to sue you. I'll take you to court. One church member with another. But here's what he says. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer, that is, allow yourselves to be defrauded? Why don't you just let somebody cheat you? And Paul's telling him it would be better to do that than as Christians to go before a secular court and ask them to solve the issue. Now let me tell you, that is a tall order and a tough assignment, and yet that's exactly what God expects. We are obligated to develop the spiritual maturity to allow ourselves to be cheated and defrauded and mistreated and abused and neglected, we are to mature to the point that we keep doing right, that we do not respond in kind to those people. That's our responsibility. In fact, Paul pointed out part of the problem there at the church. He, he, he told them that, he said, you're still babes in Christ. He said, I can't feed you with the meat of the word. I have to give you just the, just the milk because you're, you're babes. You're in Christ. They're saved. They're Christians, but they've never really matured. And that's why the church at Corinth was squabbling all of the time. It was divided. And he's dealing with that very issue. And he says, part of the solution is to allow yourself just to be mistreated. That's what Isaac was doing. Think about all of the work that went into digging a well and all of a sudden while you're sleeping at night maybe or gone away and the enemy comes in and fills the well back up. Be real easy to say, you know, I'm going I'm, I'm to take care of that. I, you know, I'm going head hunting. I'm going to make sure they never do that again. So the third thing we have to do is to dodge the distractions because there are going to be distractions. There's going to be dissension. 
And it's like I've often said, a bulldog can whip a skunk any old time, but the stink ain't worth the fight. And that's true. There are a lot of times we're better off allowing ourselves to lose, as it were, in order that we might gain. You see, Isaac knew that digging wells was a whole lot better than digging graves. He could have said, sharpen up your swords, fellas. I mean, get all of your equipment of war ready. We're going to war. We are not going to allow that to happen. But sometimes winning can cause you to actually lose. Think of all of the relationships that have been ruined as a result of trying to win an argument. You might win the argument, but you'll destroy the relationship. And the sad thing about it is it can have severe and long-lasting effects. Marriages that just end up on the rocks, families that are torn asunder, all as a result of somebody determined that it's going to be my way or the highway, whether you like it or not. Boy, you know, we men are especially prone to throw up those verses about we're the head of the family and I'm, you know, I'm going to run this show and blah, blah, blah. Well, you might think you've got everything under control, but you can't stop her from packing her bags and hitting the road with some other fella if she wants to. You couldn't stop it. What are you going to do about it? We have to do what we can to dodge the distractions of life. Listen, Isaac had a responsibility to guide his people a responsibility to do the will of God. And here he is, if he had gone into battle against the enemy, he would have been absolutely wasting the time that God gave him to do. So how do you deal with an issue like that? Well, you just keep, you just keep digging wells. You just keep, you dig another well. Dig another well. And that brings us to the fourth thing, that in doing this, we have to demonstrate love. If we read on into this chapter, it becomes obvious because it speaks about his dealing with his enemies. The fact that finally he was able to convince them. Notice the testimony of his enemy whenever they speak to him. Verse 28, we saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. Boy, wouldn't that be great if your neighbor, if your co-worker, if your classmate, if your family members all just one day said, Oh, I've been watching you and I've noticed that God is with you. God is with you. You know what made the difference? Was the fact that he demonstrated love toward them. Now remember, he's being mistreated by hypocritical people and yet Isaac is gracious. And here we see a a great example of how we ought to respond instead of react. Now, I know if you go to the dictionary and you look at the synonyms, I know that it would tell you they're one and the same, but in reality, they're very much different. Whenever we react to something, it means that we respond in kind to what happened. Someone, you know, slaps you on one cheek and you turn the other cheek. No, it means you hit them back. 
right? You react to that. Response is doing what you should. Responding to whatever the particular problem is. And we have to learn to respond. And so rather than reacting in kind, we respond in kindness. And that's exactly what we see here. That's exactly what we see taught over and over again in the New Testament. That's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, notice, but I say unto you, love your enemies. How you doing with that? You might be living with your enemies, by the way. It might be you're living with somebody that hates your guts. You might be living with somebody that absolutely is so disrespectful and so on and so forth. And yet the Bible says, I want you to love them. It says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's a tall order for someone short on Christian values. Think about that. Those that persecute you. Here in America, of course, we hardly know what persecution really is, do we? Can you imagine being in the shoes of the sandals of those early New Testament saints who were beaten, dragged through the streets, thrown in prison, and some even... even uh, martyred and yet the lord says i want you to i want you to pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you let me tell you our duty doesn't disappear because it's difficult sometimes we think well we we get a free pass it's going to be you know the bible says go into all the world preach the gospel to every creature and all of a sudden we look around and say, boy, it's just too dangerous to do door-to-door visitation today. The Lord didn't say go do it if it's not dangerous. He just said go do it. Amen. Take the gospel to every creature. And it's our responsibility, whether it's easy, whether it's difficult, to do what we can. So rather than going to war with others, those that mistreat us, we'll just dig another well. Just dig another You Look, you don't have to make every fight your fight. Instead of, you know, say, well, I, I'm not going to war, but I'll tell you what they did. I'm never going to forget it. And you can just curl up in the corner somewhere and suck your thumb and spend the rest of your life crying a river of tears when you ought to be out there digging a well. Because as I said, a well was worth far more than a gold mine. You see how how warped our values are today? Some way or another, we got the idea, well, I paid them back. I, I got even with them. Love your enemies. Just keep digging wells. Somebody mistreats you, dig another well. Just dig another well. Overcome evil with good. We'll get to that in a minute. And again, I say, how in the world can we do that? You know, we can talk about it being our responsibility to mature spiritually to the place that we can do that. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, there's only one answer to that. And that is we must depend upon God. The morning manna this morning, I think, is a good example of that. For those of you who didn't read it, I'll make it short. 
after this last flood, we had computer problems, and so you know, we get Comcast to come out there. They hook everything up, supposedly get it going, we thought. And all of a sudden, after the fact, we discovered that it's not working as it should. And so I got Mike Walsall to come out. He's, you know, our technical brains around here. And he came out, and, and he was stumped for a while. He was running from this to that. I can't figure out what in the world is going on. Uh, lightning must have burned this out or burned that out. And finally, we discovered that power strip that the computer is plugged into. The power strip isn't plugged into the wall. It's plugged into itself. <laughs> there wasn't much power. And let me tell you, as long as we're depending upon ourselves or others, we're going to fail. The demands of discipleship are difficult. And let me tell you, the most difficult person you'll ever have to deal with is you. Yeah. It's so easy for us to say, well, you know, yeah, yeah it, it's his fault or her fault or their fault when in reality, you know, it's our fault because none of us are capable of doing the things that we should. Listen, the Christian life requires a miracle. I'm talking about a supernatural help that only God can give. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. It's so sad to see so many people trying to live their life without Him. He said, you can't, you can't do anything, but listen, with Him, with Him, you can do all things. But to, to get what you need, sometimes you have to give up what you've got or give up what you want. In other words, you have to walk away from the distractions of life, from the difficulties of life, from those that would harm you and you need to dig some wells because that's better than getting bitter. That's better than fighting back. That's better than slinging mud. That's better than seeking revenge. So whenever I look at this story, it reminds me, number one, that problems are positive. In other words, they're going to happen. You can't stop them. This is the world that we live in. That, that perseverance is paramount. We can't just throw up our hands in despair and give up. And the provisions, well, they've been promised by the Lord. He promised to provide everything we need to do what He has commanded. And that makes progress possible in our life. If any one verse really sums all of this up, it's found in Romans 12, 21. It says, Be not overcome of evil. But notice but overcome evil with good. Notice how it commences. It says, be not overcome of evil. Far too many people are overcome. They're living defeated lives. And the Bible tells us not to be overcome. And then notice how it continues with this command. He says, overcome evil. And the powers of evil are always with us, seeking to deceive us, to distract us, to defile us, literally to destroy us, to drag us down in defeat. And he says, notice, overcome evil. That's your responsibility, my responsibility to overcome the evil because you can't get rid of it, but you can overcome it. And notice how 
the conclusion of that verse is overcome evil with what? Well, it says with good. In other words, that's the means whereby we defeat the devilish activity that's trying to destroy us. So what is our weapon against evil? It's good. Have you ever thought about good being a weapon? It is a weapon, but it's not the kind of weapon that is intended to hurt, but rather to help. And until we learn to use that, that weapon of good against the evil around us, we'll never be able to live victoriously in this world. By the way, that's the major means of us expressing love toward others. And the only possible way for us to win others is what? Well, by showing them the love of Christ. That, that's the only way. No amount of preaching is ever going to convince people. Now, as important as preaching is, it's wonderful, it's good, it's important, that's what God told us to do. But if that's all we do is just preach, it's, it's going to be in vain because the Bible tells us that we're to speak the truth in love. In love. Some way or another we have to communicate that love. So how do we do that? Well... We do it by not reacting, but responding. And our response is what? Digging another well. Just keep digging. Digging another well. Now, whenever I think of all of this, naturally, my first thought is that all of this certainly applies to Christian people. All of this is an example for each and every one of us to follow. Just keep digging wells. Don't get drug into something that's going to distract you from what's really important in life. Just go dig another well somewhere. But this story does more than serve as an example for us. It also gives evidence of the fact for those that are unsaved that there is no possible way for them to ever live up to God's standard. Remember, what God requires of us is what? To dig another well. Allow yourself to be cheated, defrauded, to suffer loss, to, to love your enemies. I mean, those are the demands that are imposed upon us by the one who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He tells us that's what we're to do. And the very fact that you as an unsaved person, and when I say that, it includes every unsaved person on the face of the earth. For you, that is an evidence that you are a sinner in the sight of God because there is not one of us that can live up to the holy standard that God has given us. We can't do it. And if we offend in one point of the law, the Bible says we're guilty of breaking it all. That means that we all, by nature, stand condemned before God and the only hope for any of us is what? Well, it's to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because He not only forgives us, He not only He not only brings us, as it were, into the family of God, 
He changes us. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You see, there is hope. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're going through some great difficulty in your life. It may be, it may have to do with your marriage. It may have to do with your vocation. It may have to do with your uh, domestic problems and your children and things of that nature. But listen, I'm telling you, there is hope. But the only hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ by trusting Him and then obeying Him as the Lord of your life. I pray that God will just challenge each and every one of us because I'll guarantee you before this week is over, there are going to be some folks that will try to stop up your well. Really. They'll try they'll rob you of your peace, rob you of your joy. There will be people that will insult you, mistreat you. There will be people that do all manner of evil against you. And the only way, the not just the best way, but the only way that we'll be able to deal with those issues is what? Just dig another well. Just dig another well. Move on, as it were, from that and do something that demonstrates your kindness, your love toward other people instead of, instead of stooping to their level and getting in a fight with them. It's better to just dig another well. And God will use that. And keep in mind, as I said earlier, that whenever the Lord was giving instructions to Isaac, he was saying basically, Isaac, look, it's not just about you, but it's about your seed after you. It's about your children and your grandchildren and this nation that I'm raising up to be a blessing to all of the other nations. God wants to make you a blessing to the others that are around you. Let him work in and through you and just keep digging those wells regardless of what the devil tries to do in your life. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the great patience that you have shown toward us and our faults and our failures. And Lord, we think about Isaac and the miserable failure that he was at one point. And yet, because of your grace, you opened the door of opportunity and you blessed him abundantly. And we just pray that you will continue to work in each and every life here this morning. The Lord, we know that we have never, ever lived up to the holy standard that you've set. But I'm so thankful that we don't have to live in a state of perfection in order to enjoy your blessings. Help us to do our best this morning to live a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we might be a blessing to others. And as they watch our life, as they see you active in our life, that they'll become convinced that you are indeed of us and in us of a blessed truth and that they might have a desire to submit their life into your hands. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. While we stand and as we sing, God speaking to your heart this morning, would you come?